Hello and welcome to the Biotech 2050 podcast. Biotech 2050 is a think tank chronicling the disruptions changing the biotech industry over the next 50 years. Check out our website at biotech2050.com. I'm today's host, Alok Tai. I'm the VP of Life Sciences at Ignite, a secure content platform focused on key global industries. I'm thrilled to be joined today by Dr. John Hennick, the Senior Director of Systems Innovation at Indigo. We'll be talking a little bit about the food system, some of its challenges, as well as the opportunities for new technologies to disrupt legacy industry. John, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. You know, maybe to kick us off, we'd love it if you could give us a quick intro on yourself, what you do at Indigo, and then also more broadly, what Indigo's mission is. Sure. So I'm a chemist by training. I uh, met the Uloc at uh, Northwestern, where I got my PhD. Came to Boston through a postdoc where I was working on low-cost medical diagnostics, things like magnetic levitation to detect counterfeit parts for the military. After my postdoc, I went and worked at a company where I was trying to do a startup inside of that company. We were working on a cell separation platform for separating stem cells from progenitor cells. After leaving that company, I joined Indigo, where I founded the innovation team with Indigo's co-founder, Jeff von Maltzen, and now co-lead the systems innovation team, which is an evolution of our team over time. Indigo uh, works with farmers to harness nature to sustainably feed the planet. So we offer products to growers and other players in the ag industry, from microbiome-treated seeds to digital tools for digital agronomy, as well as for platforms to connect growers and buyers to sell their grain. Now, it certainly seems like you've uh, pivoted away from synthetic chemistry and you know being at the bench. Maybe for the benefit of the younger listeners of the show, what's that transition been like for you, going from doing sort of measurements and experiments day in, day out, to now being sort of a business leader inside a fast-growing company? It's been a fun transition. So in my postdoc, we were doing science, but also thinking a lot about how we could commercialize it. So one of the things I loved about that lab was that we were working with a local startup company to try to commercialize a, a low-cost medical diagnostic that we had made. And through that process, I got to see sort of how that business side started to work and how you could take an idea to create a product that could impact people's lives. When I moved into my first company, Nanoterra, and started to create our, our own startup inside of that, I was both leading a scientific team in the lab as well as figuring things out myself and how you might start a company as well as helping with business development for that existing company. And so I got a lot of mentorship from the CEO of that company, Brian Mayers, and his guidance helped me to, to understand ways to think about partnerships with larger companies and, and how, how business development can play a role in driving the science. And Indigo is sort of a, a natural evolution of that where my team focuses on creating new businesses and implementing new technologies. And we, we use science to do that, but we are a primarily business-driven team. Do you miss uh, being at the bench? I definitely don't miss being at the bench. Like, I, I, I love thinking about science, but I'd rather be thinking about it than doing it. You know, um, Indigo was founded uh, several years ago by Jeffrey and, and others from Flagship Pioneering. Flagship obviously being one of the most prolific sort of venture creation firms here in Boston and previously a venture capital firm in the biotech industry. A lot of its common types of investments are in the biotechnology industry from yeah, a sure. therapeutics and life sciences perspective. And agriculture and Indigo's mission seems to be a little bit a field of that. Can you give us a sense of that origin story and what sort of really motivated Flagship and Indigo to pursue this mission to feed the planet? The, the origin of, of Jeff's idea was that 
the human microbiome space has really exploded for the past 10 years or so in that the insight that microbes that live inside of our gut and on our skin impact our health and can be signals of our health. Jeff had the insight that plants likely have the same relationship with microbes. If you are a plant surviving in a desert and, and you're a microbe, the microbe would much rather live inside of that plant where there is sugars and water than on a grain of sand next to it where there is just sand and, and, and nothing. <laughs> and silica, yeah. And silica. So that, that insight led us to look for microbes, endophytes, that live inside of plants that potentially could turn every knob inside of a plant to help it survive in stressful conditions and therefore help it to produce more grain and grain of higher quality in areas of stress, which every agricultural acre in the world has stress, either drought or too much water or cold, wet or nutrient stresses or biotic stresses. So that insight led us to create indigo, which finds microbes that are naturally inside of plants and tries to understand which of them can provide benefits to protect those plants against stresses. So then we coat row crop seeds, corn, soy, cotton, wheat, and rice with one or more of those microbes, and then we sell those to farmers. Now, in the context of the agriculture industry, I'd love to maybe sort of start out with your perspective on the current agriculture, agronomy, food system. And maybe from there, we can then start to think about maybe some of the specific technologies and, and approaches that Indigo is pursuing. But maybe you could set the stage for us in the audience about what is the food system like today? And what's your opinion about that? Yeah, so the food system is clearly broken. It doesn't work for farmers who for the last 20 years, almost every year, the average farmer has not been profitable. And it doesn't work for consumers. People demand healthier food that is grown more sustainably. And that's been shown in things like chocolate and wine and beer and coffee, where they have demanded those things. And the market has responded by providing them with varieties and things that you can choose. In the traditional row crop system, those demands don't make it back to the farmers to produce what consumers want. And that there's several reasons for that. One is the consolidation of major players inside the industry. Those companies take all of the grain that growers produce and they aggregate them together in silos and sell them to downstream producers, mills, etc. Because of that, Growers are only paid for the quantity of grain they produce, not the quality of it and not how they produce it. So that commoditization of ag has led to a system where consumers aren't able to get what they demand and growers aren't able to see a benefit for producing what they are demanding and don't really understand what those demand signals are. So Indigo believes that an entirely new food system needs to be built. And so all of the different offerings and products that we are building are to enable that. There are many players who will help us and are helping us to rebuild this food system, but we fundamentally believe that point solutions haven't worked in the ag industry and it needs to be an entire upgrade of the system. Now, as a company that's been on a toward growth path over the past you know, couple of years, being an agriculture company in the modern era might not have the same well-informed talent pool as say the biotech industry, especially being here in Boston. I'm curious what your experience has been translating the skills folks may have learned in tech, biotech, education, academia, elsewhere, and that applicability to what Indigo is trying to do. 
one of the coolest things about working at Indigo is that we have people from every industry. So there are people from traditional ag industry, mm. but there are people from marketing. There are people from data science in every field you could imagine. Mm. And there are people from consulting. There are people from chemistry and physics, et cetera, yeah. because we're trying to solve problems across the system. So we need microbiologists to help us better understand how to develop our microbes. We need automation engineers to help us to understand how to make that process faster. Yep. We need machine vision scientists to be able to look at a Petri dish and make predictions about the bioprocessability. We need geospatial data scientists to be able to use satellite imagery to predict the yield of a field. Mm -hmm. We need every single person. And so it's been a real pleasure getting to work across those different industries. It's, it's very different than my background. So having come through chemistry and startups in biotech and chemistry, you meet a lot of people from different backgrounds, but we all have similar passions and interests in some way. We're all mm -hmm. scientists. Most people I've worked with in the past were PhDs, and at Indigo, there are people of every stripe, and it's, it's just really a pleasure to get to work with them. It's been difficult in the beginning to find those people. When I started yeah. Indigo two years ago, we were about 150 people. And people hadn't understandably heard of Indigo. We had raised a lot of money, but we hadn't marketed a lot, and, and our presence was still much less known. Over the past even six to three months has been a real uptick in interest in Indigo. CNBC rated us the number one disruptor in the world. The past couple of people have been companies like Uber and Airbnb, and it yeah. puts us in a, in a great company and one that I, I feel incredible to get to work at a company that is put in that present company. So, so this year alone, we have had, I think, something like 38,000 people apply to positions at Indigo. Last mm. year, the whole year, we wow. had 8,000. So mm -hmm. the ability to have people come find us has really changed that paradigm and made it much easier. And it strikes me that there's a interesting analogy that I think about in terms of Indigo and its construction from a personnel perspective, uh, which is Tesla, I think, mm. where it's also, I think, to some extent, a and a unique mix of men and women who come from the automotive industry, mm -hmm. especially with deep expertise around supply chain, manufacturing, reliability, but then also a group of men and women who come from adjacent industries yeah. that are to some extent unencumbered by how things have been done historically in the automotive industry, right? Absolutely. And I'm sure there's certainly a budding of heads and an adjustment period on both sides, but perhaps one where the sum of the parts, or it's the, the entire entity is greater than the sum of the parts. Would you agree? Oh, for sure. There's a knowledge base that comes from experience in the agricultural industry, and people have learned hard lessons, and we should not have to relearn those lessons. But we also have a different view of how things should be done and how things can be done. So a really good example of that is how you do agricultural research in the field. So... The way it's traditionally been done to understand how a seed or an input would perform is through what are called small plot field trials. So imagine a 10 by 10 meter square plot that's randomized for control versus A versus B versus C yep. on the most uniform piece of ground you can imagine so that you can understand the differences between those three treatments. And then those are statistically analyzed mostly by statistics that were developed 50 years ago that you could do on a pencil and a paper. Mm -hmm. And those results are then used to say, okay, now we should sell this product to farmers across the country. Right. Growers don't believe those data in part 
because of the things that I just described, mm -hmm. they don't represent a grower's field, which is very non-uniform. There's different mm -hmm. soil types and slopes and different types of equipment. Yep. And so we created a project called Indigo Research Partners, where we work with farmers across the country. We now have over 100 farmers who are working with us. They each volunteer to let us use 500 acres or more of their farms to do any type of experiment we want. So we test our microbiome projects, our microbiome products on those fields, but we also test things like drones and soil sensors and weather stations and satellite imagery mm. and other companies' inputs to be able to understand their actual input in real environments. The philosophy of how we do that is really different from how the traditional ag industry has acted. And we oftentimes have conflicting views and visions of how that can be implemented with people who come from a more traditional background. We find a lot of success with working with people who come from the satellite imaging field. People who've had a lot of experience in data science of imagery have been able to really understand that you have all of these pixels that you can work with, not just satellites, but drones and machines that are measuring the yield on a meter by meter basis. So a field doesn't have to be one data point. A field is thousands of data points. And with that type of number of samples, you can really gain power to be able to make really informed decisions about how you might send a specific microbiome product to a specific geography because you know it might perform in that specific soil type in that specific environment. Very cool. Now, uh, you mentioned sort of Indigo Research Partners, which seems to be a pretty exciting way to collaborate with folks, a critical part of the food supply system. But one of the things I've also observed is that over the past, say, 10 to 20 years, as our generation has become you know, food purchasers more than just consumers, that there's been a lot of shifts in market demand when it comes to things like pesticides, or organic, etc. How are you starting to see that demand translate into new supply, if you will, in a commercial context? One of Indigo's most exciting business units is Indigo Marketplace. Mm -hmm. So about 15 months ago, we had the idea for Marketplace, which is create a platform where farmers can post grain that they have harvested or have yet to harvest, and buyers like mills or elevators can say I want that specific type of grain. Mm -hmm. It seems obvious, and it seems <laughs> like someone should have done that before. Folks have tried in various iterations, but there is no major player in that space in the industry. The way that grain is generally transacted is a farmer calls the local five buyers that he knows, elevators and mills and feedlots and ethanol plants, and says, "What what's your price today? And then he has to, in his head, make those calculations of, am I getting the best price for transportation and all those things. That limits the total number of buyers that a grower could go to, and it also just limits the transparency in the market, and that transparency is then benefited by those very large grain merchants that dominate the market. Mm. So the idea of marketplace is to create a transparent market where growers and buyers can see what that supply and demand is. So we had this idea about 15 months ago. We soft launched it three weeks after we had the idea. And three weeks after we had launched it, we had a billion dollars of grain mm. of supply in the marketplace. There's something like 60 plus billion dollars of cumulative bids on the marketplace since its launch. And it's a true hockey stick going up and to the right. Someone will build the platform that connects these people 
we think that Indigo might be the one to be able to do that, but it's clear that there's a need there. What that opens up is for not just people to transact yellow corn number two, but for buyers like a mill who's baking bread to be able to say, I want wheat that has high protein in it because it helps make dough better. And a beer brewer to be able to say, I want wheat that has low protein because it makes better beer. Today, they can all get average protein. And in order to accommodate for that, what happens is is there's a person, a company that Indigo's working with in Kansas who regularly has to ship wheat in from Russia because it has higher protein to be able to meet the specs that they need to mm. make dough. That's that's a crazy thing because <laughs> Kansas is one of the largest producers of wheat. The fact that they have to go to another geography to get that from so far away, it costs them and growers are making less money than they could because it's all being mixed together. Mm. So the idea of Indigo Marketplace is to enable buyers and sellers to, to see those things. We also think that consumers demand environmental sustainability in a real meaningful way. Organic is a great signal of that. That is being delivered to them in most products, but in in corn and soy and these sort of row crops, it's a far smaller market and it's much harder to deliver that. We think that there are other sustainability metrics that consumers would want if they had the opportunity to have that delivered to them. For example, we have found interest in marketplace with people who want rice only grown in Texas. Hmm or cotton that's grown with less water. Or we recently signed a a large deal with Anheuser-Busch to grow rice for their beer that has less water and less nitrogen because it's something that their consumers are demanding. Very interesting. So it sounds like using digital technologies and a common marketplace, right? The ability to start feeding the data and the demand back to those who are sort of supplying. But, you know, one of the things that it makes me think about, philosophically speaking, is how this traditional quote-unquote product, which was a commodity, Uh right? Whether it's frozen concentrate orange juice or wheat or corn or rice, which was assumed to be entirely the same, now has an opportunity to fragment and diversify and differentiate. What's your thought on the potential or the impact of said decommodification of traditional commodities? So it makes sense that we built a commodity system. After World War II, we had a reason to aggregate grain and ensure that we could feed this huge and growing population. But now with digital technologies to transport things on demand with on-farm storage, we don't need to do those things anymore. And it leads to all of the detrimental consequences of, of the environment and of growers' lack of profitability. So. If we can enable a decommoditized agriculture where everyone says, these are the attributes that I care about. I care about lower inputs, and I care about better water quality for the farm that I bought this grain from, or I care about high nutrient density. We think that it can make the whole system more efficient. It can also help make growers more profitable Mm. and the environment more sustainable, while at the same time meeting that demand of consumers. So as you think about that one side of the equation, which is sort of the consumer purchaser aspect, there is obviously the other side, which is sort of the farmer, right? So yes, there's demand for high protein or low protein wheat. Yes, there's demand for a specific definition of organic, for rice grown in Texas, whatever it might be. But how is the farmer in this context, who I think is, to your point, sort of often forgotten, right? And often in a really tough spot, both financially and in terms of uh, production. How are they supposed to accommodate these sort of new demands? And what's Indigo doing to sort of help and support them? 
it's really difficult for them. So someone's willing to buy this. Well, how do I produce it? So Indigo's working in several business units to try to work with growers to deliver that. So we have a digital agronomy tool which involves a, a human agronomist. So for people outside of agriculture, an agronomist is a crop doctor, essentially, someone who <laughs> helps a, a grower make better decisions about their farming practices. And we provide those agronomists and those growers with digital tools that provide them data about their fields and make recommendations for specific growing practices so that they can try to understand the implications of making any of those decisions. We also believe the microbiome, so where we started at Indigo, has a huge impact. If someone is demanding reducing inputs by 50%, how could we possibly deliver that? And we have a lot of evidence that suggests that the microbes on seeds or applied by a foliar spray can have a very large impact on that. There's evidence with Indigo and many other companies that, that microbes can reduce the need for pesticides because they have biotic properties where they have chemical signals that reduce the ability for certain insects to actually be able to see the plant hmm. or when certain insects come in contact with a plant that has certain microbes in them they perish we think that type of technology can enable the reduction of inputs in a way that then allows growers to meet those consumer demands now there's been obviously a lot of talk about bees and the role of pesticides and in, in decimating the, the bee population what, what's been some of your observations on that front and their role sort of in agriculture and some of the challenges you addressed one of the insights of understanding the diversity of insects, good insects, and good fungi and bacteria is to also recognize that the whole agricultural system has been developed to kill those things. So <laughs> there are bad fungi and there are bad bacteria and bad bugs, but there are also good ones. When we apply broad fungicides to fields, we've actually significantly reduced that diversity. So are you saying that there is, it's a much more nuanced approach, kind of like good cholesterol, bad cholesterol. Yeah, that's right. a good analogy. Right. Is that what you're sort of talking about? There's gaining evidence that suggests that regenerative farming practices, so those are things like reducing the tillage of fields, putting cover crops on to ensure that there's a living root at all times, animal integration, reducing inputs, that those practices can lead to better water infiltration in the soil because of the microbial structure of the soil. And there's increasing evidence that regenerative practices can increase the diversity of microbes and bacteria in the soil, which can provide any number of beneficial attributes to plants. As you think about the opportunity that exists to bring a lot of these modern technologies to the forefront when it comes to agronomy, digital technologies, microbiology, satellite imaging, do you feel like we are at the beginning, middle, or end of this stream of innovation in the agriculture industry? I think we are maybe even before the beginning. <laughs> I think that there's been innovation that's been sitting on the sidelines in agriculture. I work with a lot of smart people in grad school and in my postdoc, and agriculture never came up in conversation. We talked about biotech and we talked about materials and electronics and, and digital tools, but mm -hmm. agriculture literally never came up. <laughs> and it's a trillion dollar industry yeah. that's maybe the most important industry in the world. It is the foundation of human society and of life. And if you look across the industry from the very early parts of the supply chain through on farm to grain trade to transportation, each one of those 
components of the ag and food system are behind other industries that are using similar technology. And so I'm really excited and optimistic about the future. Even in the plant microbiome, we and others are putting one or several microbes onto seeds. Wow. But an individual seed, if you go take it from a, a grain bin, has a hundred or more microbes living inside it in a complex community. And in a scoop of dirt, there's 10,000 or more. Understanding how those communities interact with each other is a long ways from now, but the larger the data set that we can collect about those environments and about the genomes of these microbes, the better we can come to understand their interactions with each other. And I think that we're sort of just at the very early stages of that. So, so one, one thing I'd love to follow up in that vein is you've walked us through both the vision that you know Indigo sort of set out to realize the types of technologies, whether it's marketplace and microbiome and digital imaging that you guys are starting to implement. As you take a step back and think about that full end-to-end spectrum of challenges with the current food system and the opportunities for entrepreneurs, technologists to move the needle, where do you predict the first one or two big areas of opportunity are for said new entrants? Is it folks devising new inputs? Is it folks on the automated transportation side? Is it folks with drones to do imaging? You know, where do you sort of see across that full supply chain end to end from farm to table? Like, where do you sort of see the biggest, most interesting opportunities in the next, say, five years? At Indigo, we're trying to do some of those most interesting opportunities. I think the marketplace and we also have a, a transportation app, which Essentially, you could imagine Uber for grain. It allows growers who have excess trucking and large companies to be able to help offer transportation for anyone who's delivering grain. I think marketplaces generally is an area where there's a lot of opportunity. Mm. We spend a lot of time talking to and working with technology companies who have point solutions that are more and more becoming impactful. So one that I'm really excited about and I think is sort of at the very beginning is measuring grain quality in real time. So we have partnered with a, a company called GrainSense that has a near IR spectrometer that can measure protein, oil, carbs, and moisture hmm. of grain in real time, beam it to the cloud, and then Indigo is connecting that to our marketplace. That's only a small part of what you could imagine measuring with grain quality. You can imagine measuring things like arsenic in rice or the surface chemical contaminants. Does this grain have glyphosate on the surface of it? I also think that there's a lot of measurement tools in the field that Mm. could be beneficial. So many companies have soil moisture sensors, but no one has on the market today a a working device that can measure nitrogen in real time. Mm. There's nothing from physics that says that you can't measure that. it's probably a difficult challenge to do it in such a rugged environment as an agricultural farm. Mm -hmm. But the value of that to a farmer would be to say, here's what your actual rate is, here's what your actual concentration of nitrogen in your field is right now, and here's what you should do about it. Mm -hmm. What they do today is every three to four years, they measure it one time on a maybe two and a half acre grid on their fields, Mm -hmm. and then they plan for the next three or four years what, what they should be doing. How consistent do you think that value is? For instance, you know, you mentioned before that you have different soil types, different microbial communities within different plots of the land. It it strikes me as the kind of thing that, like, it's not just having one sensor on one farm. It's having some aspect of distribution, right, of said readings over time. Yeah, I think the most powerful thing comes from integrating different 
sensors and fusing those data together. So if you can have several sensors that are likely more expensive in a field measuring nitrogen on a few points, but then you have a drone that flies over that field and can understand the environment on a square centimeter basis, you can interpolate those data with understanding what the soil texture is to be able to say, okay, here's where you should apply nitrogen and here's where you, you don't need to. I'm also really excited about satellites impact in agriculture. Mm -hmm. Indigo acquired a local Boston company called Telus Labs at the end of last year, who they were sort of the world leader in using agricultural data and satellite imagery as well as weather data to predict the yield of corn, soy, and other row crops by a country-by-country country basis. At Indigo, we're working with the former TELUS Labs team, now our geo-innovation team, to build a platform that we call Indigo Atlas. We think of Atlas as a living map of the world's food system. Hmm. If you go to Google Maps today and, and Google cotton, nothing shows up. And farmers don't have a Google Maps for directing how they should farm. And they don't have an insight tool that says, here's what's happened on my field over the last 10 years, and here's what's happening right now. Satellite data has been collected by NASA and the European Space Agency for the last 10 or 15 years. So we're kind of able to hop into a, a time machine and look back at performance and use that to inform future decisions. And so the platform that we're building, we think will allow us to provide insights to both farmers as well as buyers and, and other people inside the food system. That's really impressive. Certainly seems like it's a whole different technology set to be able to start to use maybe technologies like machine learning to sort of identify the correlations perhaps between inputs, weather, location, geography and the outputs, right? Yeah, and machine vision is another area, back to your original question, of areas of opportunity. So as drone technology has become less expensive, the resolution of imagery has become better, battery power has become better, so you can fly them across a larger field with fewer charges. The opportunity to be able to, with those high-resolution imagery, detect specific diseases that are occurring in the field, and even better if you can use things like hyperspectral imagery so that you can detect senses, you can detect those diseases or those pests before the human eye and act on them, could have a very large impact in the way that we farm. It certainly seems like we're just starting to scratch the surface Definitely for the opportunities that automation, data analytics, et cetera, can have when it comes to the food we eat and the entire supply chain. So I know uh, I, as well as probably likely the, the whole audience is keen to see the innovation you guys are going to bring to the table at Indigo and, you know, look forward to my glowing green cornflakes in the morning <laughs> uh, in, the, in the coming years. Well, thanks very much, Alok. Thanks yeah. for having me. Thanks so much, John. Thank you for listening to this episode of Biotech 2050. This episode is hosted by me, Alok Tai. It's produced by Jean Merlin, edited and mixed by Megan Lovering. If you enjoyed this episode of Biotech 2050, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Also, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Biotech2050Pod. Until next time. <laughs>